In order to learn the markets beyond reading my book and other books is that you really have to be invested. You have to experience uh, the highs and lows. You have to learn a process. You have to develop that temperament to, uh, if a stock you really like goes against you, to actually be buying more versus selling. My guest today is Joshua Pearl. Josh is the founder and chief investment officer of Hickory Lane, a long short equity asset manager. He focuses on equity investments in special situations, utilizing a fundamentals-based approach. He's also the co-author of The Little Book of Investing Like the Pros, Five Steps for Picking Stocks. His book has received glowing testimonials from the investing community. Howard Marks, co-chairman of Oak Tree Capital, wrote that he had never before seen a book that provides the same complete and thoughtful orientation to the process of investing. Josh's approach teaches a simple framework in a step-by-step manner on how to pick stocks. I recently sat down with Josh to discuss his five-step framework on how to invest like the pros on Wall Street. Josh Pearl, thanks so much for being on the show. I really greatly appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this since we first spoke about a year ago when your book came out. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, Josh, let's get right to it, man. You came out with a book called The Little Book of Investing Like the Pros, Five Steps for Picking Stocks. And before we get into it, the five steps, which uh, I really like a lot when I, when I first read it, but what gets me is, is you have testimonials from really the elite of Wall Street. You have Howard Marks wrote the forward. You have Stanley Druckenmuller, famed hedge fund guy who made zillions of dollars throughout the years. Nelson Peltz, CEO of Triand Fund Management, Abby Joseph Cohen, Goldman Sachs. How'd you get these people to say this book is, I guess, the best thing since sliced bread? Sure, we'll appreciate that. And certainly it's, it's a fun process uh, interacting with these individuals. And you can imagine if they're going to put the, their name on a product that's going to be out there essentially forever, uh, they've got to do their diligence on you. I went, I went to individuals like Howard uh, and Nelson because uh, they were investors that I am, wanted to emulate and that I respected externally. Uh, my view is that the way they were thinking and acting and spending their time and in investing uh, is really how I wanted to be as an investor. So it meant a lot that I was able to get to these individuals. Um, I had a connection or worked with somebody who worked with them or knew some of these individuals personally. Uh, and certainly, I appreciate uh, all their help and support. And um, I could talk about a few of the stories about how I got to them or um, uh, what the process was, if you'd like. But um, uh, each one is a fun story. Each one is a great memory that um, you know I'll even tell my kids about at some point. And no, it's just it's just great because you're right. These guys would not put their names to something that was subpar. And you know what? Before we get into the book and the five steps, the approach. Uh, how really retail investors or anyone could just take this approach. And this is the approach that you've been using. Uh, the key, I think, here is your background. You've been doing this for a while, right? Yeah, I've been uh, now 18 years in the business. I started out as a credit investment banker doing high yield and leveraged loans and restructurings. Then I became an equity long short investor about 10 years ago. Uh, but even growing up, 
and I think that's probably the case for a lot of your listeners or anybody who wants to get involved in Wall Street. You're looking at the scroll at the bottom of CNBC or Bloomberg and uh, trying to figure out what that means, or your parents or grandparents are involved in investing and give you a stock certificate or buy you a mutual fund for your birthday or bar mitzvah or what have you. And that kind of starts the initial bug. But um, you know, I talk about this in the book. To, to be a pilot, you need a license. To be a doctor, you have to go through years of medical school and residency. But uh, anybody in the world can just go open up an E-Trade account and start buying stock, and uh, you can get hurt that way. So uh, my thought process and my co-author's thought process was to put something out there uh, that could help the average individual. Yeah, I think now more than ever, you're seeing just, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Buffett and uh, the shareholder meeting, him and Munger were talking about people young people investing, and I use the word in quotes, gambling through Robinhood, buying and selling, thinking stock picking is an easy game. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to these folks? You know, there's, there's positives and negatives. Obviously, the negatives are there's individuals who see their friends making a lot of money on some of these meme stocks and they're fast followers. And ultimately, there's a lot of volatility there. So they might be buying high and then the stock starts going down and they say, oh, I just put in uh, this month's paycheck and I'm losing money, I don't want to lose any money, and they sell and then the stock goes back up. Um, the only positive there is that um, in order to learn the markets beyond reading my book and other books is that you really have to be invested. You have to experience uh, the highs and lows. You have to learn a process. You have to develop that temperament to, uh, if a stock you really like goes against you, to actually be buying more versus selling. So, um, you know, I think Robinhood certainly has gotten a lot of people involved, I think, in my network, um, you know, and even just my wife's friends or friends of mine who know what I do. They're getting a lot more involved in the markets. And certainly over a long period of time, the market has been an incredible wealth creation engine for individuals. You know, exiting the original recession, the Great Depression, uh, the market's compounded well over 10% per year. So you, know, you could see any stock chart you look at or any index chart you look at where you're putting money in the market along the way, um, the market has tended to create value over time. So as long as individuals are getting involved, and that can be a very good thing, but uh, without the proper knowledge base, uh, they can get hurt. Okay. So, so for so, that reason, we really wrote our book. Right. So your, your process here of picking stocks, the five steps, we're going to go through them in a second, but you take an approach like you're an owner of a business. You look at the business not as a lottery ticket or a wiggle and jiggle on the chart, but you see it basically as a business and you analyze it that way. Am I right with that? That's correct. Um, as opposed to just being some green font or red font on a screen uh, or just some number that's a stock price, uh, my view, and I think a lot of other investors who are fundamental focused think like this as well, is that you're buying a share of a business. You become an equity owner of the business. So uh, if you seek to be a long-term oriented investor, you really have to have the skills to understand the business prospects and the fundamentals of that business and what that can look like over time. Gotcha. So the, the thing that I've always seen throughout the years is that most investors call themselves investors, but they don't have a process. They don't have an approach. It's like one day... If they were restaurant owners, one day they're selling sushi, the next day they're selling frankfurters, next day they're selling fish sandwiches. There's, there's no rhyme or reason. Well, it does take years to develop a process. And uh, I think for a lot of individuals, uh, their process can start with just their daily observations, uh, the so-called Peter Lynch methodology. 
Uh, what are they seeing in their personal and professional lives? Uh, how are their friends and family uh, acting and how are they spending their time and their money? And, and that can be very, very informative upfront uh, for individuals who are just starting their investing process. Uh, invest in what you know, invest in what you see every day. If you see that you're spending a lot more money on a certain website or you're spending a lot more money on you know, some type of vehicle, you name it. Uh, maybe those are good investment opportunities. So that's always a very good place to start. Yeah, one thing I remember a few years ago at one of the annual meetings, Buffett lamented how he missed Google. Uh, he was asked to invest in it. And the thing that which got me is he mentioned that Google was being used by Geico. Geico, the insurance company, was using it. And he said, what a terrific business. Every time you click, there's no incremental cost. You click and they had a they had to pay Google. He says, I'm just kicking myself that I missed investing in this company. And it was right under his nose. I think what he says, and certainly a lot of investors who are professional investors have this experience, is that their biggest mistakes are the ones that they don't do. Uh, it's staring at them. They've done the work on it. It's right in front of their face. Uh, it just seems too good to be true or just so simple. And they pass for whatever reason. And then that stock goes up, you know, twofold, threefold, tenfold. Uh, or those those positions that they own, they've got a price target that's 100% upside, they reach it very quickly, and then they sell, and then they don't capture the next 100% upside. Right. So right. Uh, typically, it's, it's those stocks that you don't do that end up really hurting your performance the most. Right. Okay, so let's get into it, man. You have five easy steps, and I shouldn't say easy, five simple steps. They're simple to understand, but not so easy to implement. It really takes experience, and it takes doing it over time. And it, like anything else, the more you do it, the better you get. So let's get the first one. The first step you have here is idea generation. What is that? Sure. So basically, we outline for our readers the, the core buckets of opportunities uh, where professional investors tend to find interesting ideas. Uh, certainly, in, in our intro, we talk about what I was just mentioning about your daily observations. Uh, but in general, there are certain categories, certain buckets in which professional investors tend to traffic and find ideas. And uh, those are opportunities that over time have created a lot of value. So one is just first simply looking for undervalued companies, uh, companies that are trading in a particular multiple that should be at a higher multiple because of their business prospects, et cetera. Uh, then we're looking for companies that have inflecting financial performance, which is very, very strong financial performance. Uh, or maybe in general, uh, our internal numbers are much higher than the street is anticipating. Okay, because hang, of hang our... on a second. Hang on a second. I'm an average guy. I work in another industry. I have no idea if an undervalued company would bite me in the ass. So how am I supposed to figure out what an undervalued company is to do this idea generation thing? Well, not to plug my other book, but uh, I wrote another book called uh, Investment Banking which is a, uh, a professional book. It's in its third edition. It's sold about 250,000 copies so far where we talk about how to do the valuation work. Um, and, you know, but in general, there's, there's certain methodologies, comparable companies analysis, precedent transaction analysis, DCF analysis. Uh, these are methodologies that um, if you're even, you know, a, you know, call it a doctor or a lawyer who's spending time in the markets, it makes sense to look at. Everyone knows about the P multiple, et cetera, or price to free cash flow, or, or we talk about enterprise value EBITDA. Even in this mass market book, we, we do a tutorial on valuation. But um, I'll use terms uh, in the books 
that, um, and we talk about this up front, it probably makes sense to maybe read a very, very rudimentary um, accounting book. There's one called How to Read Financial Reports uh, by Tracy. It's another Wiley book. It's very, very simple to pick up. Or Wiley owns the For Dummies brand, uh, a For Dummies book on accounting. Uh, read through those. Get yourself familiar with those with that terminology um, before you become an investor. So in essence, to, to um, simplify it, uh, I think the company is going to be worth more because I think that they're going to earn more over time and the market is going to reward them with a higher multiple. So uh, trying to figure that out, uh, looking at uh, M&A opportunities, so mergers and acquisitions, company A is buying company B, uh, they've announced synergies. I think as a result, they'll cut costs, they'll grow faster. Uh, looking at spinoff opportunities, opportunities where a company is spinning off or, or divesting a non-core asset that might be able to be worth more um, with a different capital structure or with more investment. Um, looking at restructuring is in turnarounds. So oftentimes, companies who've been through bankruptcy or who have had hard times, those could be very interesting opportunities. Uh, looking at new IPOs, looking at CEO changes, even looking at other investors. Uh, what are some of the best investors in the world doing? Uh, looking at investors with great track records. So there's a lot of different approaches to finding ideas. And basically, we outline and we simplify these in the book. Uh, of how to find these ideas. Okay, so let, let me give you a simple idea. I know Google. I use it all day. I use it for search. I use it for uh, for clicks, for Google ads. I, I know something about the company because I'm a customer of theirs. Now, I want to go ahead and buy the stock. What's my first step? First step is getting an account. But uh, um, what we recommend is there's a lot of public information out there. Um, let's say you don't have access to a lot of the Wall Street research or you don't have access to management. Um, well, one, every public company has SEC fines where they describe their business in detail, describe their, pro their prospects, um, managers take on the business, sometimes even guidance. Uh, you go to the corporate website. You can look at all their different products. They've got pictures of all their products. You can go to their investor relations section, uh, read their investor presentation, Go to the, uh, watch your analyst report. All this public information is out there. Um, and there's so many different resources. Um, your podcast, different blogs, et cetera. Read what other people are, are saying about these businesses. Um, and that's a very, very good place to start. Really understand the company. Um, we talk about this in the book. Um, what does a company do uh, and how does it make money? It's kind of like uh, Kindergarten Cop, if you remember that movie from the 90s. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with the, with the company. Uh, uh, what does a company do? Okay, I know what they do. Now, how does it make money? Is it a function of they're adding more subscribers and they're charging more for that subscriber every single year? And really, there's only a two or three business drivers that really um, form the nucleus of how a company generates money. And uh, it's your job as an investor to figure out what those business drivers are and whether or not you think they're going up or down. Got it. Okay. So now let's use, I uh, looked at Google, Facebook, Microsoft. I can understand those businesses. Those aren't 10 foot hurdles. They're pretty simple businesses to understand how they make money. Now we go to step two. How do I figure out, as you have in the book, the best ideas? What am I looking at to figure out what the best ideas out of these 10 stocks that I, or 10 companies that I figured out? would be something I invest in because I know the business, I use the business, I wear Nike sneakers, uh, I drive a Tesla, 
I use Google. So there are things I could understand. Got it. Next step. So, so sure. So that's where you really start with your process. And that's where the experience of investing comes in. Um, every investor should develop a framework. Uh, what we do in our book is we uh, set out a basic framework and we provide templates uh, for our readers for how to basically process an idea. Um, so the first thing is to think about the investment thesis, uh, which is basically why I want to own the stock. What's good about the stock? Um, do they have, what's the business rationale for owning the stock? Um, what do the business prospects look like? Um, you know, who's a management team? Who's running this business day to day? That's a very, very important part of the process. So, so Josh, uh, just let me just jump in a second. So it's like you and I going and buying a coffee shop uh, near a train station, not Starbucks. We want a regular Joe's coffee shop. We're passive investors. We'd want to know all the things, all the things that, it, that any passive investor, silent partner would want to know in that coffee shop. Why does it have an advantage? Who's the management running it? When's the best time uh, customers? What season of the year do they go? What profit margins they work on? How are they going to increase sales? So all basic stuff that if you take away the word stock or stock market or Google and talk about your local coffee shop, we'd look at it the same way. Is that right? Yeah, look, and I, I think everybody over time, and this takes years, and our book certainly helps you with that, uh, will develop their own bells and whistles or bright lines and, and what they like to look for. Um, some are bottom feeders and I like to, I like to, and some are growth investors. I like to equate it to purchasing a vehicle. You know, when you, when you purchase a vehicle, you're looking for a certain thing. Um, you're doing all the different types of comparisons and some individuals want to buy a used vehicle because there's good value in there. They're going to drive it for a very long time. It's okay if there's 30,000 miles on it. Some individuals want to buy the best possible vehicle and um, it has no miles on it and it's the best brand name, et cetera. So, and, and that may work for, any, for anybody. Um, same thing with stock investing. Some investors want to buy a company when it's doing poorly, when there's a new management team there and, and it can change. Some investors want to buy a company that's just growing very fast and they think maybe that growth will continue. So um, there's all different types of investment philosophies. And uh, all we do in this book is basically provide a framework to start thinking about that. And uh, in our step two, identifying the best ideas, we lay out some templates and give some guidelines for how individuals can really sift through all these companies once they've identified a couple core candidates they want to look at and start organizing their work. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. You hear that? That's what turkeys sound like. You know what else sounds like turkeys? This. Wall Street talking heads with no chance of helping you make big money in stocks. Why? Because they can't. According to Standard & Poor's, 92% of active fund managers underperform their benchmark. 92%. 92%. And you know who suffers for it? Millions of Main Street Americans just like you. That's why Charles Mizrahi is on a mission. A mission to help 1 million Americans take back their financial future in a way that's easy to use and profitable. And with nearly 100,000 people already on their way, you could be next. So don't listen to the turkeys. Instead, listen to how America's number one alpha investor, Charles Mizrahi, could help you make more money in two weeks than most investors make in two years. To see how, go to investingpatriots.com. That's investingpatriots, all one word, dot com. I guarantee you'll be glad you did.
So I want to share with you one thing that I did with my newsletter, my Alpha Investor Report. Uh, March, when last March 2020, when the country was shut down, I looked and I said, holy smokes, we never seen anything like this. I have to only look at businesses now that do not rely on retail traffic, that will continue to operate, that have reoccurring revenue streams, meaning each month comes in, and it's not reliant on a product being delivered physically anywhere. So that led me to companies like Netflix. Uh, back, uh, I don't want to go through all of them, but companies unlike, let's say, for example, a Starbucks where people had to go out, or movie theater chains, or Carnival Cruise, a, 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 a cruise line, those you needed customers outside during a pandemic, which I said, I don't know how long this thing is going to last. So in your framework, that would be something where I just narrowed it down in your, in your verbiage, right? Oh, 100%. And what becomes, not to complicate things, but then what becomes tougher is, is once those companies you identified start to really work, and now those stocks are up 50, 75, 100%, is now the right time to buy. And then some of the other companies that were being disrupted during that time period, some of the travel companies or the retail companies, uh, well, now their prospects will start to improve over time. And now does it make sense to start buying some of those? So that's a little bit more complex and more nuanced. We certainly talk about a lot of that stuff in the book, but certainly um, what you talked about is what I mentioned up front in terms of those daily observations. Well, businesses at the time a year ago that rely on human to human contact, uh, those probably won't do very well. Um, a company like Amazon, uh, and what was interesting about Amazon uh, is that their moat was certainly fortified during the pandemic because so much of their competition, the mom and pop competition, unfortunately, that wasn't deemed uh, essential. So you think about uh, a toy store that's been in the family's generation for years. They sell toys. Now they can't sell toys anymore during the pandemic. And where do you go to buy toys? You go to Amazon. Hardware so, stores, uh, hardware stores, shoe stores, clothing stores. It was like, I looked at that. I said, my gosh, the government through this pandemic just created a monopoly that's even stronger and is going to get stronger. Exactly. And so um, you saw that. I mean, I was speaking to somebody this weekend, actually, who um, started investing during the pandemic for the first time. And they bought Peloton because uh, they bought a Peloton at home. I bought a Peloton at home. Other people are maybe doing the same thing. I'm going to go buy the stock. So um, for the average individual, those type of observations can create a lot of value for them in their portfolio. There's one shortcut, which I want to talk about, because I think you're one of the few who do this. You view stock investing as owning a piece of a business. So we're all on there. And a lot of people do the same thing. But as a passive investor, meaning we're just giving our money to someone and we're sitting back, the CEO, the person running the ship, the person who's making the you do a lot of research on that person because you could have a great business, but a knucklehead running it, and that business will quickly go into the ground. So just walk me through what you look at with a CEO. That's public information. That's nothing that you're, you're, you're stalking the guy or you're going through his garbage. Stuff that anyone could figure out about a CEO, which makes or breaks the business. The first thing, you, you want to make sure they're incentivized. Um, that they've got money at stake. Uh, you know, you think about a CEO who owns maybe a million dollars of stock, and that sounds like a lot of money to the average individual. But if that company goes bankrupt, the CEO loses a million dollars, they get another job. Um, 
most of the CEOs in um, in our portfolio today have an excess of 25 or 50 or even billions of dollars of stock. Um, the CEO of um, Lithia Motors, for example, has $75 million of stock, one of our top positions. The CEO of Shift4, ticker FOUR, who's 38 years old and founded this business 21 years ago, has $3 billion of stock. So if his company goes bankrupt, he's going to lose $3 billion. I think he's going to try to do what he can to create value. Next thing we do is you look at track record. We want to see uh, what this what this individual has done previously in terms of creating value for shareholders, either in the stock price or what they've done to numbers point to point. Have they been increasing value by driving margins, driving revenue growth, driving earnings growth, et cetera? We spend a lot of time talking to uh, peers and former staff members. Want to understand what these individuals are like personally and professionally. One second, one second. I can't do that. I can't do that. So I can do the first two. I can't call up the guy's brother-in-law and ask him what he's doing. So I, I can't. I can't either. Okay. <laughs> so so I I can't do that. So tell me what I can do. So the, you did mention track record. If the guy worked in another company or he's been at this company for twenty years, let me see their earnings, their revenue, what the stock price did over twenty years. That is empirical evidence. There's no fudging. The numbers speak to themselves. Finish. Right. Uh, so what else can I do? That's pretty simple. So, what else can I do? Sure. So um, my team and I like to watch YouTube videos on these individuals. Nice. Um, we we want to see, one, are they well-spoken? Are they a good communicator? And why that's important, one, they have to be able to communicate to their investors, but also internally. And you think about a leader as an effective communicator, really all they have to do is convince that next level of management right below them of their strategy and let that you know, next five or six or 12 individuals uh, go communicate and execute that strategy throughout the whole entire organization. So that's to be great communicators. Uh, we so, like so, to so, 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 so I'm watching, let's, let's use John Malone, for example, right? The, ca- the cable cowboy. I don't think anyone on earth knows as much about the cable industry than this man. We'd be pretty, most people agree with that. Would you, would you agree with that? Sure. Yeah, okay. we're invested in a couple of his entities. We own Charter Communications, uh, which is also backed by um, Tom Rutledge, a great CEO, right. who's also on the back cover of my uh, investing book. Right. Okay. Um, so you got, you got for example, let's, you, let's work through a very simple example. So John Malone has started cable companies, created cable business, just created enormous shareholder value over the past 40 right. some odd years. To put this in average terms, it's, He's the Warren Buffett of cable, or Warren right. Buffett is the John Malone of stock investing. That's how good Basically. this guy is, right? Okay. Now, you watch a video of John Malone, and there were tons of interviews. I, I just, I love the fact the guy's, what, 80 years old or so? Uh, he, uh, yeah, I think he's close to 80 now. Um, yeah, he, he's, you know, I listen to every podcast, anytime this guy's on a podcast or on CNBC, it, and, I, and I just want to speak to what you're saying. He is so clear. And he is so to the point that when you stop, when you finish listening, you know where the business is heading, what area of cable streaming or anything to that effect, where it's going. And you could just imagine all of the little John Malones that he's created to create this network of companies. That's getting a message out in one breath to a whole bunch of companies. Yeah, he's quite amazing. I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times. I've had the opportunity to sit next to him at an investor meeting um, in his boardroom. Uh, incredible individual. And there's so many YouTube videos uh, on him and just hearing him speak, the way 
he thinks about the philosophy of investing, the way he thinks about the philosophy of creating value. Uh, what he's done with Charter uh, two years after Tom Rutledge joined as CEO in terms of M&A, in terms of bri- driving broadband penetration um, is just quite amazing. And if you, you know, have the opportunity, if your audience has the opportunity to read Cable Cowboy, uh, it's just an incredible uh, narrative of his journey uh, through creating the mob- modern cable ecosystem, which really has spawned the entire internet. I mean, every single company you were talking about before, whether it's a Google or a Microsoft or an Amazon or Netflix, uh, they all ride on the broadband backbone, where right. he really was responsible for implementing. Right. He, he, he implemented the plumbing of the internet in the 90s, right? Without him, there wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to watch Netflix. Exactly. Or work so. at home. <laughs> work at home. See, one thing, one thing I, I think, I just want to go back to something really easy now. So if I'm listening to this and I'm saying, look, man, this guy, Josh, he's a smart guy. He writes books. He manages money. I'm never going to be this guy, and I'm not going to compete against him. But I can't figure out a company like, I'm using that example, uh, Microsoft. I can go on, look at Nadella's, Satya Nadella's videos. I could, he is all over YouTube. I can see what he says at presentations, at keynotes, or even, or even Tim Cook, right? Tim Cook of Apple. Doesn't take a genius to figure that, that this guy is brilliant. In fact, just on a point on that, Buffett was mentioning a few weeks ago in the shareholder uh, annual shareholder meeting that Tim Cook is probably one of the greatest businessmen he's ever seen. And he's known a lot of great businessmen. So if I just figure out, and it doesn't take much, Jeff Bezos, uh, Tim Cook, Malone, if I just follow what they're doing and get to know what they're doing and understand the flaws, I, can, I, can, I won't lose money over time. I'm going to do pretty well. Uh, exactly. Uh, that, the, investing behind high quality management teams who are incentivized to create value, uh, but who are also running great businesses that are on the right side of secular or structural change. Um, when you think about it, you talked about uh, an Apple, for example. Uh, are there going to be more individuals in the world who are going to be using smartphone going forward? Absolutely. And um, there's so many individuals right now who don't have access to the internet or a smartphone that, that will over time. Um, you think about um, their product and individuals can compare their products. They can, maybe their friend has a Samsung and they've got an Apple phone, they can compare the products. Um, if you think, if you take it back to the charter example with broadband, um, there's more devices going into the home. Seems like every single day you, you click on your modem and you can actually see all the devices in your home that are connected. Um, are there likely to be more devices connected to the home going forward or less? Probably a lot more. Every device is becoming internet enabled. Um, and that means you need more capacity, more bandwidth, more broadband speed. And so when you can get on the right side of very strong secular growth in a product that's in demand, and then you layer on a, a strong management team, and a strong board. You know, if you look at the board of Charter, for example, you've got Malone, you've got Greg Maffei, you've got an individual named Eric Zinterhofer, who is also the backer of Shift 4. You've got Tom Rutledge, Mauricio Ramos, uh, the Newhouse family, uh, so many individuals who uh, are incentivized as well. The average individual uh, outside of Malone, the Newhouse family, and Tom Rutledge has four and a half million dollars. Um, the average board member has four and a half million dollars invested in Charter. That's a lot of money. So you have a whole team that's centered on creating value. So uh, as long as you have a great business, 
you're uh, on the right side of secular change and you have a great management team, you should do very well over time. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's much easier to avoid stupidity than seek brilliance. So I always try for these one foot hurdles. And um, what I found over time, and I, and I got that from your book as well, that when you start with one great company, let's use McDonald's, for example, 30 plus thousand throughout the world, Franchise business, meaning they're just collecting royalties each and every month. They own the real estate of virtually every, they're in the real estate business, you know, the real estate of every store. And the way I got that idea was I read a book, uh, Golden Arches, about Ray Kroc, 2004, 2005. I said, wow, this business is amazing. And as time went on, I learned about other fast food businesses, try to see what's different. And by the way, this was all free stuff on the internet. I was just going from the investor relations of McDonald's to, uh, to uh, Chipotle later on and to, um, uh, to, uh, to Burger King before, you know, before uh, Ackman and, and, and 3G. But it, all that information was out there. And once you learn about one industry, you look at another, and I've also found another thing which speaks to what your point is, is once you find a good manager, a good CEO, they usually run in clusters. Like a good CEO will have great board members. Each of those board members might run another company, and he might be on that one. So it becomes, it's not so hard. Am I getting this right? No, you're 100% right. Um, you, know, you look at those individuals um, that are very, very easy to identify as strong management teams. Um, and then even the level below them is very strong as well because they tend to be great mentors. And um, that number two, that number three, that number four, et cetera, are strong as well. And they're being mentored by that individual. Um, now the key and where you can make, um, you know, I think a lot of money is finding those CEOs, you know, very, very early on, which is, which is difficult to do. Uh, we think that we've done that with a shift four. Or um, there's those CEOs who kind of fly below the radar. Um, you know, you think about Alithia, which is um, among our top positions, and it's a car dealer. What, what's the symbol of that? What stock symbol is that? The, the ticker is uh, LAD. Okay. And it's run by an individual named Brian DeBoyer. He's a third generation manager of this business. And sometimes you see some, I call it variability and transition from you know, the original founder to you know, the next son or the next daughter and so on and so forth. But in this case, uh, Brian has really accelerated the growth of this business through a very, very unique uh, organic growth and uh, M&A process. And if you look over the past 10 years, this car dealer, which has less than 2% market share of U.S. auto sales, ranks number six on 10-year earnings per share growth and number four on 10-year total uh, shareholder return of the Fortune 500. Hmm. So basically number four of Fortune 500 CEOs in terms of producing returns for shareholders. So, so this and, is like, for example, LeBron James playing for a Bush League team that doesn't get much press and he's out there just doing absolutely amazingly well, and not many people hear about him. I would definitely not call it Bush League because these guys have been compounding um, earnings at 25% per year last 10 years. Yeah, but no one, no one ever heard, how many people have heard of, of this company, right? So Exactly, exactly. Not many, but they will soon um, because they, they launched a new platform called driveway.com, which is an omnichannel platform, uh, kind of similar to Carvana. But uh, exactly. Um, I think everybody knows of you know what the large cap tech companies are, and those have been tremendous investments 
uh, over the past couple of decades. I mean, you kind of can't go wrong investing in those. Um, but there are obviously a lot of others out there. And uh, for those that are enterprising and for those that read our book, they can you know, dip their toe over time and try to find very, very good ideas. Um, but there's you know, so many ways to, find, to make money uh, in this market or other markets and so many different opportunities out there. So, um, so if, if you were starting from scratch, you knew nothing, what would be the one thing you would look for in a business? You didn't know, you, you didn't know accounting, you didn't know anything. Basically, you had money, you wanted a partner into a business. What would be the number one thing you look for? Uh, the number one thing f- uh, for me would be I have to understand the business. Well, what does that mean, understand the business? You have to really know what you're investing in. Explain. And so um, I talk about it in chapter three in terms of underwriting business due diligence. You know, what does a company do? Uh, can I understand, explain to myself in a couple of sentences what this company actually does? All right. All right so give me, give me an example of your number one holding, LAD. Tell me what the company does in one sentence. So they are a provider of uh, new and used car vehicles. They sell new and used car vehicles. Uh, they finance those vehicles and provide insurance for them. And they also do parts and services. Got it. So basically a car dealer and new and used cars. Good. So my next level thing is, okay, that's pretty simple. Got that. Why is that such a growth industry? So it's a growth industry. And, and the way we found this is quite informative um, for your audience in terms of what you're seeing um, in the real world. And I think actually this is where individual investors have an advantage over professionals because the professionals generally sit in offices most of the time, they're reading research, they're bogged down in numbers. And maybe you don't have the day-to-day observations that somebody in the real world has. But uh, we use a lot of long-term data sources here. And maybe this is getting a little bit too far down the rabbit hole, but uh, what we saw that really excited us about uh, the auto dealers and, and then Lithium in particular were um, it, during COVID, we were observing some uh, fact patterns that we thought were quite informative for these businesses. So one, we saw Apple mobility trends, uh, which really measure leisure travel. These are individuals who are going and requesting a location on Apple's map, approaching pre-COVID levels already by May. And so what that was telling us was that despite the fact that nobody could fly or people weren't flying to their leisure destination, they were still driving. Okay, so that was interesting. We thought that boded very well for parts and services businesses, more wear and tear on vehicles. And who owns parts and services vehicles? Well, dealers do. We were also observing um, data coming out of China, which we thought really preceded the US because they started getting COVID a few months earlier that showed that about two thirds of new car buyers were first time car buyers. And to us that represented the seeds of uh, de-urbanization or suburbanization where uh, individuals and professionals and families were moving out of the cities to suburbs. And what's the first thing you do when you get a house or you move out of the city? Well, get a broadband connection, then you buy a car. And at the same time, the automotive manufacturers had shut down production largely. And you're seeing a lot of that now actually with the chip shortage and that we thought boded very well for used car prices. And Lithia is primarily a used car dealer. So uh, all those combined, those themes we thought boded very well for car dealers. And how we got to Lithia was we looked at the track record. We looked at all the CEOs uh, in the auto dealer space. And Lithia had been compounding earnings at 25% per year um, and growing revenue at 19% per year their uh, nearest competitor, Asbury, had also been growing earnings at 22% per year. So three, three basis points lower, 300 basis points lower, but revenue only at 9% per year. 
And so that little data point, that revenue to EPS differential was telling us that these individuals at Lithia are not trying to squeeze margin, as much margin out of their customers. So very, very unique methodology. And uh, at that point, we started doing a lot of work on it. Um, so so let, me, we, let me ask you, Josh, how would I, I, I couldn't do any of this. I don't have data points, Apple Mobile, I have none of that. How am I supposed to come up? How am I going to compete with you? Well, good thing about Lithia and very good management teams is they lay out all this in their investor presentation. So they actually put their track record in their investor presentation. Where, where do I get it, the investor presentation? All you do is you go to uh, Lithia Motors website or just Google search Lithia Motors Investor Relations and you'll, you'll get to their investor presentation. Right. So most people have no idea that companies put their investor presentations, which are decks, slides, simple, easy to read slides on their website that they give to Wall Street guys like you. Well, for that reason, we wrote this book. Um, you know, I'll tell you, when I went from being an investment banker to an investor, and I had already written a book about how to be an investment banker and thought I knew how to be an investor, until you're in there doing it day to day, you don't really learn those skills. Um, so the best way to do it is to read books about it. And we found that while there were so many great books out there, um, you know, obviously Howard Marks has written a, a couple of very, very good books. Uh, the most important thing is an amazing book. Uh, Seth Klarman wrote a book, Margin of Safety, great books. Joe Greenblatt's written a bunch of books. He, he obviously launched the uh, Little Book series uh, with the little book that beats the market. Um, those books are amazing. Um, it's difficult to pick up those books and be able to invest the next day. So we basically uh, took it to a level below those books uh, and really outlined how to do this stuff from scratch. Where do you go for these resources? Uh, what is an investor presentation? So all this is, is in the book. And we felt that because individuals don't know about this stuff, we needed to provide the resource for them. Right. All right, man. Great. Josh, thanks so much, man. The name of the book is The Little Book of Investing Like the Pros, Five Steps for Picking Stocks by Josh Pearl and Joshua Rosenbaum. Uh, Josh, I wish you continued success. Uh, I want to come and revisit this maybe a year from now. Let's see how Lithia does and uh, shift four, because I think they're really great developing stories. And I think you've done the investment community, especially the first time investors, a, a big service by coming out with, uh, I wouldn't say, and I wouldn't say this is an elementary book. I think you need a little skill here. It wasn't something like a book for dummies because some of the things you, you go a little deep. But I think the value of this book is most people will avoid the stupid mistakes. And I think that's key. Well, look, I really appreciate the praise. Thanks you, thank you so much for having me on the show and look forward to discussing again. Great. Thanks so much, Josh. Take care, Charles. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, We'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on the Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.